morning. It is good to see all of you here today, and thank you for coming and joining us here for worship at Ivy Creek Baptist Church today, which is a special day of worship for us. If you can tell by coming in today that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning and gathering around the Lord's table, and uh, that's always an exciting time for me uh, in, in the life of the church as we, we take time periodically throughout the year to just stop and, and, and to just gather ourselves around the table of the Lord. And I, I remember a few years ago, and I don't remember if it was the first year that I came here, or maybe it was the next year after having come to serve as your pastor, that we began to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And uh, that became a special time because, uh, you know, this is the time of year where we're already kind of stopping our plans and, and we're taking time to remember all the things for which we are thankful. And, and, and truly, all of us in this room, if we were to list all the reasons why that we have to be thankful, we'd have a list that's longer than we could take time to even share with the person sitting next to us. We have so many reasons to be thankful. But, but as, a, as children of God, there is no greater reason that we have to be thankful than for what we are going to celebrate this morning fact that Jesus Christ has given his self voluntarily and obediently to be our Savior. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going, to, we're going to celebrate that together. We're going to discuss it and we're going to talk about it and then we're going to celebrate it together. If you remember this past Wednesday night, for those of you who were able to, to be here for our Thanksgiving service, you'll know that kind of the overarching theme that just kind of enveloped that service was, was Psalm 103. And, and that's a psalm of David. And, and David says in that passage, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says this, And forget not all his benefits. Well, that's one of the reasons why we come and celebrate around this table today is because we want to positively do what David says we should not do. We want to positively make a stand and say we are not going to forget all of his benefits for us. And that is what the Lord's Supper is about. So that's why we're going to celebrate it this morning. But before we get there, I want us to examine the scriptures together today to understand exactly what the Lord's table communicates to us and exactly what it means to us as a family of believers. And we're going to do things just a little bit differently today. We're still in the Gospel of Mark. And as for all of you who are part of our family here, you know that we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark since January of this year. And we're going to continue that process. And we, we're going to take a little bit of a pause and we're going to look at some Christmas passages beginning here in a couple of weeks. But for right now, we are, we're still traveling through the Gospel of Mark. And, and today, though, what I want us to do is, is I want us to look at three different passages that all seem to kind of they're, they're predictive passages by our Lord who tells us what is, going to, what is going to happen to him. He shares with his disciples some, some passages that tells them what it was that lay in front of Jesus. And I want us to just kind of look at that because we're coming up in the middle of chapter 9. That's where we are in our regular study. And, and I want us to look at verse 31. But in light of that, we see that verse 31 is the second prediction that Jesus gives of his future death and resurrection. We find the first one back in chapter 8, verse 31, in which we see Mark tell us about that. And then we see it happen again in chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. And so this morning, I want us to read those three passages. And I want to let those three passages comment for us and help lead us into the time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So let's, if you've got your Bibles open there, turn back with me to chapter 8, verse 31, and let's hear the word of the Lord as it tells us this. 
And he, that is Jesus, began to teach them, that is his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now turn over with me to chapter 9, verse 31. Hear what we read there. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And now turn one more chapter to chapter 10. Let's pick up in the middle of verse 32 says this, Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. And then Jesus says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you that we can positively come together this morning and, and choose not to forget all of your benefits. We do that by actively engaging in worship. We want to bless the Lord with all of our soul. We want to bless Him with all that is within us. We also want to take time to remember the benefits that He has given to us. So I pray that that would happen today. And then I pray that in the process of doing that, that you would transform our hearts, that you would, you would change us from the inside out. That as we leave this place, having considered exactly what it was that you accomplished for us, that when we leave here, our hearts would be filled to overflowing with thanksgiving and gratefulness, but that our lips would not hold those things silent, that we would tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done. This is my prayer, and this is I pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. So I've read for you those three different predictive passages for you this morning, and I believe that the similarities there are pretty evident. I think it would be very evident for you to see how each of those kind of speak to the other and how similar they are. In fact, I really want to focus on those similarities this morning by, by noting some questions that, that is kind of drawn out of these passages, questions that I believe are, are, are very evident that we need to answer. And you'll notice from your outline this morning, I haven't given you a whole lot of words They've got a lot of blank space there today, and that's been intentional because I think you'll benefit from that blank space this morning. If, if, if I ask you the question and then we begin to discuss it, you can take the time to write down those answers in your own words. I think that will be helpful. So I hope that that's what you'll do today. And, and, and so I want to point you to the first point on your outline, and really it's the first question that I think is being begged of this text for us to ask, and that is the question of who? Who? Who is the subject of each of these three passages that we have read this morning. Now, I believe that it's evident that each of these three passages is about Jesus. I don't think it takes, I don't think it takes a scholar for us to figure that out. He is the one who is teaching. He is the one who is telling his disciples what is going to happen to him in short order once they have traveled to Jerusalem for the last time. 
But what I believe is interesting is the way that Jesus describes himself. Did you notice? He uses a term for himself. He uses the descriptor, he is the son of man. He uses son of man in each of these passages. Now, we're probably familiar, most familiar, with the term that is used of Jesus as being the son of God. And the term son of God is applied to Jesus because we know that that title was used to describe his deity. That is the title that, that, that we know that the scriptures is always talking about, that, that he is the son of God. He always has been the son of God. If you remember from a couple of weeks back when we looked at Jesus going up on the mountain of transfiguration, it was up there that it was this sort of he transfigured before his disciples. He metamorphosed before them so that they could see him in all the glory that he had from the beginning of creation, even before that, and that he will have all the way through the end of times. He is, he is God. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal begotten one who will always and forever be the Son of God. But Jesus is also the Son of Man. In fact, the Gospels, in, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself more, more than 80 times as the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? Well, in general, what we understand by this term Son of Man is that Jesus is referring to his humanity. He is fully human, just as you and I are fully human. Though he was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he nevertheless was born through natural means. Therefore, he is fully human. He is part of Adam's race. And by the title Son of Man, Jesus is emphasizing that fact. So Jesus is both the Son of God and, as we read in these passages, he is the Son of Man. He is both divine and He is human. He has both natures, two natures in one person. But I believe that there's even a, a, an even deeper understanding that we should recognize about that title, Son of Man, that Jesus uses here. When He refers to Himself as the Son of Man, I believe that Jesus is picking up on the, the, the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, He writes there that He was given a vision of one like unto the Son of Man. And Daniel writes that he comes in the clouds of heaven and that he, he receives authority and glory and sovereign powers from God and that, and that he establishes an eternal kingdom. And so he, he's clearly speaking about the Messiah there in Daniel chapter 7. And Jesus is taking that terminology and applying it to himself. Later on in Daniel chapter 7, you will also find that the, the Son of Man is closely identified with the oppressed people of God. Those who are said to receive sovereignty and power and greatness of the kingdoms of the earth after a period of suffering. And so I believe by using this term son of man in reference to himself, Jesus was intending to communicate clearly to his disciples that he was fully human, but that in being himself, even though he was human, he was also the Messiah who had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. And he was claiming that exalted role that Daniel had used. The exalted role in the history of redemption. He was claiming that for all those who had ears to hear it. So the first question that I believe that the text makes us have to ask and that we need to answer is who. And, and we need to understand that who is, is Jesus. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. That then brings us to the second question that I think this text begs uh, for us to ask and then to answer. And that's the second point on your outline. And that's what? We began with who. Now we move to what? What is this passage about? 
What are, they, what are these passages telling us that will happen to Jesus? Well, this one is a little, a little more straightforward than even the first question. Notice in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus taught that he would be killed, and after three days, he would rise again. In chapter 9, verse 31, he says that he will be killed, and after that, he will rise on the third day. In chapter 10, verse 34, again, Jesus says that he will be killed and that he will rise again. So very clearly, without really any equivocation whatsoever, we can say that this, these passages are about Jesus' death and His resurrection. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus ties those two events together. He talks about both of them taking place. One happening first, obviously His death, but immediately following that, three days later will be His resurrection. And Jesus ties those events together. And in a little while, we're going to see exactly why that was important. But before we get to that, what I also want you to note, though, is that particularly from other passages of scriptures, we need to note that Jesus died a voluntary death. He willingly laid down his life. John 10, verses 17 and 18 tell us this. Jesus says, I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again, the com this command I have received from my Father. So we see there that Jesus, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life. But then later in, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes something very instructive in, in a beautiful passage there in Philippians 2, which describes exactly the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. And exactly why Jesus came, there in verse 8 of chapter 2, we read this. Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's, there's the voluntary part. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So there we see his, his voluntary action was also an obedient action. And that's what we find from this text he, he lived, he lived a, a voluntary obedience by coming and dying. But even so, it is clear as we read these three passages in Mark that though his death was intentional, though it was voluntary, though it was obedient, it nevertheless was not a case of suicide. Jesus did not come and kill himself. Rather, as it is read there, he was Killed. The action of, of his death was something that was forced upon him. And that leads us to the third question that I think begs to be asked by these texts and something that we need to examine. And that is the question, by whom? By whom? Who did Jesus say would be the ones responsible for his death? Well, in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says that his rejection and death will ultimately come at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That three groups makes up this, the Jewish Sanhedrin. Those were the, those were the, the, the Jewish high court it's what, who, who make that up. And, and they were the authorities. They were the experts. Those were the aristocrats of Jewish religion and society. Then in chapter 10, verse 33... Jesus again names the chief priests and the scribes, but then he adds this. He says, they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And so what, what Jesus predicts will happen in chapter 10 is that though it will be his own people whom he came to and they did not receive him, 
they, they rejected him and they condemned him to death and yet they did not have the authority to, to crucify him. So they, they handed him over to the Romans, to the Gentiles, who they did have the authority and ultimately we know that they crucified Jesus on a Roman cross. And so clearly Jesus is saying in these two passages that it was both his own people, the Jews, and it was also the Gentiles who were responsible for his death. Now, in chapter 9, verse 31, we get a little simpler explanation. Because Jesus also answers by whom there in that passage as well. He says that he will be delivered into the hands of men who will ultimately kill him. That's more of a general and wide-angled view of what happened. What basically Jesus tells us is that the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Messiah, would ultimately be handed over into the hands of sinful men who would mock him and beat him and spit upon him and then would ultimately crucify him. He would be crucified by the very ones that he came to give his life. So that is really what we see in these three passages that I've read for you from Mark's gospel. The answer to those three critical questions. Who, who, is these, who are these passages about? And really, what is the, who is the gospel about? Well, it's about Jesus, the Son of Man, the Messiah. What? What are these passages about? And what's the gospel about? Well, it's about the good news that Jesus has died and that he has risen again. And by whom was he crucified? Who killed Jesus? Well, he was killed by the very ones that he came to save. Those are the questions for which these passages provide very clear answers. And yet, I don't think that we need to stop with those three questions. I think there's a fourth question that we need to ask this morning. But it's a question that is nevertheless is not answered by these three texts. And so we have to look outside these three texts to find the fourth answer this morning. And the fourth question that we need to look at today is simply this. Why? Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to be handed over to the hands of wicked men? Well, even though we don't see that exactly in these three passages, we don't have to look far to find the answer. In fact, if you've got your finger there in Mark 10, just look down a few verses to Mark 10, verse 45. In Mark 10, verse 45, we read there that Jesus said this to his disciples, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, when we get to Mark 10, we're going to study that verse in its context in which it's given. But let me give you this in advance. By saying what he did here, Jesus turned upside down and on its head the, the, the disciples' understanding of what the Messiah was going to do. They understood the Messiah to be an earthly king who would come and vanquish all of the enemies of, of Israel and that he would reestablish the, the, the Davidic throne there in Jerusalem and, and drive all of the Gentiles and all of the Romans out and that he would be the one that was in charge and he would have all the people serving him. And Jesus says, that's not the kind of Messiah that I've come to be. I've not come to be a Messiah who is served by all of these people. I've come to be the Messiah who would first serve. And be a, given my life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus came to give his life. He came to die 
in order to pay the ransom, in order to, in order to satisfy the demands of God's justice. You see, God's holy wrath against sinners was satisfied by Christ's death. Jesus gave himself for that purpose. And as we noted, he did it voluntarily and he did it obediently. That's why, that's why Paul, when he's writing to the, the church there in Corinth, and when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's also writing to you and I today as well. And this is why he declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, that you were bought with a price. You and I, you and I had a, a price that was paid so that we might be set free. A ransom price. And it came through Jesus' death on the cross. That's why the Apostle Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. No, he says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So, so why did Jesus have to die? Well, he died in order to pay the price that sin demands. As, as the writer of Hebrews has put it, in Hebrews 9, verse 22, he says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin without there being death, without there being the shedding of blood. And therefore, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, Jesus died to pay that price that we could not pay for ourselves that we might be set free from the penalty of our sins. But as we've noted, it was not just the death of Jesus that he said would come. He also said that he would also rise again on the third day. And what I want you to know is that his resurrection proves that the ransom was accepted by God. The fact that he rose from the dead proves that Jesus truly was God's son. And that he was also the son of man who paid the perfect sacrifice for sinners like you and I. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ is still in the tomb, it would mean that we still stand guilty before God. But as Paul also wrote in Romans 4 verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. His resurrection proves that our justification is accomplished. It assures us that we have been saved. It was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, declaring him to be his son. And what that means is that the full penalty of mine and your sin has been completely taken care of by Jesus on the cross. And here's the best part about that. You didn't deserve it, and neither did I. There was not one thing, not one thing, that you nor I could ever stand before God and say, look at what I've done. Not one thing that we could have ever have boasted to the Lord that I have accomplished this. No, every one of us in this room are sinners. 
morally depraved, rotten to the core. You may say, well, I'm not as bad as this person sitting next to me or the person that I know that raised me or the person that I know that I work with. The comparisons aren't made horizontally. The comparisons are made to the perfect, sinless Son of God. And when we compare ourselves to Him, none of us, none of us can stand before Him. And yet it was Him who came and died on a cross and rose again in order to ransom sinners like you and I from our sins. So that's why we gather around this table to remember that. It's why there's certain songs that we have in our repertoire of songs that we sing that we don't need to let go of because they force us to remind ourselves of exactly what this entire meal is about. One of those songs is this. Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Brothers and sisters, that's why that's why we take time to stop everything else and place ourselves as believers around this table so that we can do exactly what Psalm 103 says that we forget not all of his benefits, the greatest of which is that he has offered us and given us eternal and abundant life. You see, that's the other thing. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead tells us that one day we too will rise from the dead. It's a, it's a promise that one day we too will experience that same resurrection. And you know what? His resurrection also tells us that he's given us Abundant life. John 10 10 tells us, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Listen, don't believe, don't believe it when, when, when you may hear that Christians are supposed to be dour and sad and solemn all the time. Jesus came to bring us life, an abundant life. But even as we live that abundant life that He has given us here, we know that this life is always filled with sorrow. We have to say goodbye to people we love. Sin affects everything that we have. We, we have sickness and we have pain. We have struggles that we go through. And yet what we know is that one day, one day after this life is over, Jesus has promised us and has proven through His resurrection that He will, as He has said, gone to prepare a place for us. And if He says, if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into Myself, that where I am there you may be also. And you know what's beautiful about that place? The book of Revelation tells us in that place there'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more parting. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more hospital beds. There'll be no more funeral homes. There'll be no more cemeteries. There'll be no more anything that has ever caused the tears to come into our eyes. Why? Because there will be in His presence forever and He will give us our glorified and perfected bodies. And the resurrection promises us that. And whenever we gather around this table, it is a reminder to us of that promise. So this morning, as we've looked at the who and the what and the by whom and the why, then we come to our sermon in a sentence this morning, and it is simply this. By His death, 
at the hands of those who he came to save and his resurrection, Jesus grants pardon from sins and eternal abundant life to all who trust in him. That's why we come to this table this morning. And so brother and sister, if you are here and you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your savior, if you have repented of your sins and confessed him as Lord of your life, then you're invited to this table this morning to participate, to stop and to remember what it is and why Jesus died for our sins. We also read this in Mark, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take eat this is my body then he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it and he said to them this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many assuredly I say to you I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives let's pray together this morning as we prepare our hearts to partake of this most sacred meal. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son to die in our place. And now as we partake of this bread as it is passed out, Lord, I pray that it would be a reminder to us of the great sacrifice that you have paid for us, the ransom that you have paid for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
body of Christ. Take and eat. Our Lord, we also know that we take time to remember your blood that was shed, and as we've already heard this morning, shed for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. So I pray that as this cup is passed out with this juice, and as we look into it and we see that red color, that that would, that would be what would be on our minds, is that you shed your blood that we might experience forgiveness not just so that our blood would not be shed, but that we might be, our guilt might be removed. And we recognize that it was by your sacrifice that we are given eternal life. Help us to be reminded of that and to thank you with grateful hearts for it this morning. In Jesus' name.
the blood of Christ shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink. So as we read, after that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples there in Mark 14, it says that he went out with them into the Mount of Olives and they sang a hymn. That's how we want to conclude our service this morning as well. We want to sing. But in fact, we want to sing words that deal specifically with what we have just done. We want to sing about his body, the bread, and his blood, the wine, broken and poured out for us. Because... It was this Jesus Messiah who came to save us. And so once we leave here today, we will have said that we have proclaimed him through the reading of his word, through the studying of his word, through the partaking of the Lord's Supper and through singing about that. And I hope that it makes your heart glad. I hope that if you have truly experienced the forgiveness and the remission of your sins, that you will sing with a joyous heart overjoyed because of what he has done for you not because you deserve it but because of his grace and because of his mercy this is also going to serve a time as an invitation for us maybe you're here and you're still trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out you're trying to figure out who this church is and who we are and why we do what we do I'd love to talk with you further maybe even pray with you maybe you've set up some time to talk with you after the service is over with maybe you'd like to know more about our church I'd really love to talk with you further about that Maybe you just like to spend some time in prayer this morning or have one of the pastors or, or one of these deacons pray for you. We'll be up front. We'll be happy to do that. However the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, I hope that you'll respond appropriately as we stand together, as we sing together this morning. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself Jesus Messiah
be seated.